This is a Federal News Network podcast. Endpoint detection and response, that's cybersecurity jargon for knowing what devices are on your agency's network and what to do if one of them goes rogue. And now the latest missive from the White House is ordering federal agencies to install endpoint detection and response, or EDR, pretty darn quickly. For how you might respond, we turn to the Senior Vice President for Public Sector at McAfee Enterprise, Ken Cartson. Ken, good to have you on. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. Now, let's begin with defining the terms, because in the world of endpoints, the cyber world and the technology world is sort of bifurcated into mobile devices that have mobile operating systems, and then in PCs that are just simply anywhere, laptops, and they could be on the VPN or in the office on the Ethernet. So it looks like this is encompassing everything in this latest October 8th memo from OMB. How do you see it? I see it very similarly. We are focused on endpoints in totality, the protection of those endpoints, and to go into a next generation of security capabilities and architecture in order to protect those endpoints and not just those individual endpoints themselves, but traffic and malicious activity we may see coming from other entities or other endpoints that exist on your infrastructure or outside of your infrastructure. You know, one of the most interesting things as you think about compute today is in this almost potentially post-COVID environment, we are no longer sitting on just the internal network or VPNing into the internal network. Our devices are everywhere and we're connecting through almost any internet connection, whether that be a a legacy type of laptop or a mobile solution that you uh, pointed out earlier. And in this age of mass teleworking, which seems to be lasting quite persistently, no matter what we do, there's another variant and so forth. So the agencies are still teleworking to a pretty large degree relative to normal. The implication here is that the mobile device management systems, which a lot of agencies have for the mobile devices, is only really a part of the solution here. They can't really give you that comprehensive view that you just described. Yeah, exactly. And when I think of mobile devices and MDMs, as you noted, you know, that's really more of a policy management solution. EDR is definitely focused on more of your endpoint laptop, desktop solutions, uh, server-based solutions. And it's critical that you leverage the latest in technology in order to protect your infrastructure, whether it be sitting inside of your data center, in the cloud, or at somebody's home office uh, and leveraging, you know, next generation technologies you know, such as EDR, but underlying in that EDR, machine learning and artificial intelligence to promote capabilities that leverage all of the things that exist externally and internally to see if there is any malicious intent or activity and being able to protect your environment from such. And this executive order or this memo, I guess, is probably a better way to put it because it came from OMB and not directly signed by President Biden. It says EDR combines real-time continuous monitoring and collection of endpoint data. As you mentioned, it's more than just the endpoints. Network computing devices such as workstations, mobile phones, and servers. So that could say your cloud in some ways is an endpoint device. It definitely is in some capacity. The compute that our government does is vast. It is reaching a broad range of infrastructure, whether it's in legacy networks, legacy environments, home use, cloud environments. And being able to integrate all that information, protect at the endpoint where most of your critical information lies. If you think about your data and how you get in to exfiltrate data, the endpoint potentially is your most vulnerable aspect. 
And by leveraging capabilities that exist today with EDR and machine learning and artificial intelligence, uh, and being able to scale that across the government and do that continuous diagnostics and monitoring to give DHS or CISA, in this example, the ability to see what's going on across the .gov environment and being able to protect. If you look at legacy attacks such as solar winds, which you know were so all-encompassing inside of our government networks, the ability to have that visibility is paramount. We're speaking with Ken Carton. He's Senior Vice President for Public Sector at McAfee Enterprise. And the order here, again, gives agencies 90 days to do a lot of things, but basically get their EDR plans in place and their EDR programs in place. And then in a half a year, supposedly, there'll be a playbook for those that haven't done it yet. What do you need to do to go from where you might be now as an agency to full bore EDR? You know, there are some lucky agencies and departments who have moved forward with EDR technologies over the past year or two. I think the vast majority of agencies and departments are still evaluating different technologies and solutions. You know, in this order, I think it's incredibly important that agencies start to kind of peel back the onion, look at the types of technologies and capabilities that are out there first. You know, what type of program and architecture would they utilize in order to develop that pseudo architecture inside of their environment and then go about, you know, what's always important in the federal government, how would they leverage budget activities in order to fund a lot of those efforts? And then past that, collaborating with DHS, CISA, the CDM program, in order to enforce a lot of those policies that they're going to be taking advantage of. Does an EDR solution require an agent on every endpoint? Traditionally or typically, it does. You know, if you look at some of the architectures that exist with some of the security capabilities that are out there, you can leverage endpoint agents that are already potentially in your ecosystem and add that capability on, which provides a much easier deployment and management capability. So you're essentially leveraging the infrastructure that you've already invested in previously. If you look at you know, McAfee Enterprise, for example, in the .gov environment, and then if you add in .mil, we're on millions of endpoints today. And adding the EDR capability would give you a host of different, no pun intended there, a host of different advantages in your protection capabilities and easily scaled to an enterprise environment. And at the other end of all of this, is there some sort of a dashboard, pane of glass, whatever word you want to use, such that the information security staff can have a easy way to find out what is in fact going on in the environment? Yeah, exactly. By using, you know, centralized management platforms that exist on-prem or in the cloud, leveraging these EDR solutions, you have a very, very clean dashboard effect in order to see if there are any intrusions taking place, be able to take mitigation efforts above and beyond that, you know, correlating to something that may exist at CISA where you have the full dashboard of the entire .gov environment, and it gives you a very, very quick response time in order to thwart these attacks. You know, additionally, one of the things that these dashboards can help provide in, you know, McAfee Enterprise as an example, is to assist with guided investigations. Because the next step when you see that there is intrusion or misuse is to do the forensics component and investigate that. And one of the biggest issues that we have in most environments is the amount of manpower it takes and the labor, the shortage of security resources is abundant. 
So having a technical capability to do guided investigations is ultimately what you're looking for. And finally, do EDR solutions have the capability of protecting people against themselves? Because like they say in the car industry, the one part you can't fix is the nut behind the wheel. And people click on things and they go searching on things that can result in all sorts of problems like ransomware. So is that a component of a good EDR is to somehow prevent people from well-meaning people from doing harm? Absolutely it is. As much as we do training and advise individuals, if you don't recognize the sender of the email, if it's from an outside organization, you know, there's a lot of potential that it's a type of phishing attack. It's malicious and intent. Ultimately, humans make mistakes. Human error is by far probably the biggest vulnerability we have in security. And having a technology and capability that will prevent those types of attacks in the event of a human error is incredibly important. And that is an example of how EDR can assist an organization. All right, people, so you got to get going here. Ken Cartson is Senior Vice President for Public Sector at McAfee Enterprise. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you very much, Tom. I really appreciate it. We'll post this interview along with a link to the latest White House memo at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Put the Federal Drive on your endpoint. Subscribe at Podcast One or wherever you get your shows. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the president and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual actual uh, afloat commands. Uh, the first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, and then after I retired, after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm, I'm currently retired and enjoying life. And um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style? And how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin. And what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. 
but that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I, we'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it. Um, From Sea to the C-Suite, fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me And he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, And I I tried to do that um, throughout my career. But really, it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was... It was, you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Uh, Absolutely. Um, What I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy and um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing, and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From Sea to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes. When I was at Navy Federal, I would tell sea stories. Uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment. And it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect 
perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon, uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, and I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons in, in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, we, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And, and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler. And to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast, we'll see you next time. Anyone else have trouble sleeping last night? And the night before that, same. And I've tried everything, but it either doesn't help me sleep so I'm cranky and tired the next day, or I sleep and then I'm drowsy the next day. Luckily, Seize the Night and Day is here. Go to SeizeTheNightAndDay.com to learn more about insomnia and how you can seize the night. And Carpe the Diem. Make their mission your mission, because they will not rest until we all rest. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit LiveXLive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.